Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Let's face it, friends, we live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. you got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. You that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts. And as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts. Looks like I'm coming in a little bit hot. Let me turn that down a little bit, hopefully. I've had all kinds of issues today. Had some personal stuff to deal with and 
you know, it seemed like I woke up this morning, had to get up and go get some new tires for the car. It was kind of unexpected. And you get there and you find out you got a broken tire rod. And so it just, you know, it's been one of those days where it's been one thing, one after another. And then uh, I sit down to record the show for you guys. And I have had all kinds of technical problems, but I've got them worked out now. And uh, it, there's nothing more frustrating than that. You know what I mean? It's like I didn't do anything different. I have had this, the same setup for several months. And then I sit down to do the same thing that I do three times a week and it didn't work out so i have relocated everything over to my laptop computer so here we are maybe the desktop is going bad i don't know but i know that i am now here with you guys and you don't want to hear about all my issues you've got problems of your own but i apologize for being so tardy today i've even had people messaging me hey steve boneyard today yeah boneyard it's going to be late maybe you have to listen to it on tuesday so all that being said Uh, There's a lot going on, and uh, one of the things that I want to share with you guys right out of the gate is there's some rumors out there that there may be one or two more players looking to transfer from Mississippi State. As I've shared with you guys recently, uh, I believe Fabian Lovett will ultimately end up at Ole Miss, and uh, there's been a lot of discussion about that on our Gene Spades message boards. I I believe that is going to happen. You know, he one time had announced that he was going to go to Florida State, and I think everybody said, well, you know, at least he's out of the SEC. Because, listen, Fabian's a good player. You know, it's one of those things, it's kind of like the girl that breaks up with, and you're like, well, she wasn't that cute anyway. Now, Fabian Lovett's a good player. I, I still think he's an NFL guy. Uh, ha- has he reached his full potential? No, he hasn't. But, you know, with Deke Adams now at Ole Miss, and obviously there is a relationship there, that is something that I think is worth watching. In addition to that, there's a couple other guys that's been mentioned to me that said, that, hey, this guy you know, might consider entering the transfer portal. As I have shared with you guys many, many times, we have had uh, some discussions about this. There are going to be, guys, to be some guys leave, and one of the reasons for some of that is that our new staff has not had a chance to really, you know, spend any time. And one of the like I wrote recently, you know, it's you – know, you know, the bonds of football are forged in sweat and shared stress. And until you've had a chance to kind of work through some adversity together and kind of get out there and begin to kind of develop a rapport, because there's only so much of that you can do over the phone. There's only so much of that you can do on a Zoom call. You know, players have to feel like that coaches are helping them get better. And so when you don't have the opportunity to get out there on the, on the practice field and kind of rub some things out, you haven't really developed a bond. It's one thing to have a relationship, a working relationship. It's much different to have a bond. And so our staff has not had much of a chance to really bond with our players. And so that's a little bit of an impediment for us. So we're working through all of that. But don't be surprised if you see a couple more guys hit the portal between now and the end of the month. And I know when I say that, it's kind of cryptic and people start thinking, oh, my gosh, who could it be? I'm just kind of speaking in general terms. I had somebody reach out and share something with me this morning that it kind of has my, my, my radar up a little bit, but I don't want to put it out there yet until we have more information. There are a lot of people out there that love to talk, as you guys are well aware. So just be mindful of that. If it happens, don't be surprised, because there's going to always be a little bit of transition in the way that things are going now. You know, with this extended hiatus, you know, people get a little bored with thinking, you know what, maybe I need to go somewhere else. You know, maybe I, maybe I do. Most of your players are actually in Starkville. I don't know if you knew that. Most of them are actually in Starkville. 
and most of them kind of get together on their own and kind of work through some workouts and that sort of stuff. And so it's not like everybody's kind of scattered around the globe, you know, sitting around playing PlayStation and, you know, and eating pizza. If, some, if, if they're doing that, they're doing it here in Starkville. But, uh, but be that as it may, the, the, the presidents of the SEC are going to vote here in the next couple of weeks about when do we bring the players back. Uh, they're actually going to vote this Friday. When do we bring the players back, June 1st or 15th? And that's what the vote is about. It's not do we come back, it's when we come back. Because we're coming back and we're going to play football. Go ahead and get ready for that. We're going to play football. Forget all the rhetoric and forget all the nonsense. We're playing football. You, you saw it today. Uh, there have been a lot of some very important steps about other professional sports coming back. There'll be a, a little bit of a measured response to that for a while. You know, but I tell you what's interesting. There's so much that we have learned about the COVID-19 virus in recent weeks. And not just you and I, but people that you know, work in the medical profession, you know, they're learning as they go. And these are brilliant people and not just Americans, but around the world. I mean, we, we are going to take some steps and I think at some point we'll eradicate a lot of this, but, uh, you know, we've never been able to find a cure for the common cold, but the common cold won't kill you. We haven't been able to find a, a true cure for the influenza and really, more times than not, it won't kill you unless you've got some underlying issues. And so some of these things we're going to kind of have to learn to live with. But my hope is, is that we have probably developed some habits during the quarantine that are good habits as far as hygiene goes and protecting ourselves and promoting good health that we will likely continue moving forward. Those are the good things when you look at all this and see the silver lining in all this. Is The bottom line is we should probably all be washing our hands a lot more than we do. We should probably keep a little distance you know, from strangers more so than we do. And there are some people in my life that I hope that we continue to social distance because I don't really want them around me. Bulldog Burger Company wants you around them. They're, they're back and doing business, baby. They're back and rolling. And uh, listen, those folks worked hard throughout the quarantine to provide you guys with great restaurant-quality hamburgers and other items. And so now you've got a chance to kind of enjoy that again. Let me encourage you. Go by, see them. But maybe you're not comfortable yet to go sit in a restaurant. Maybe you're going to let some other people be the guinea pigs. That's cool, too. You can still get all this great food to go by visiting them at eatwithus.com. And you can do an online order, and they'll, they'll walk you through it, and they'll bring it out to your car, whatever you need. They're there to serve you. Bulldog Burger Company with two locations now, right here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas, and on Gloucester Street in Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company, part of a great family of restaurants here in the Golden Triangle, people that are committed to the Golden Triangle, people who live here in the Golden Triangle. They employ other people from the Golden Triangle. If you can't make it to town, maybe you order yourself a gift certificate because at some point you're going to be in town to watch a ball game, maybe come up and see your kid in college, or maybe you need to get a gift certificate for your, your college kids so you can take them out to eat every now and again, uh, let them go out and have a nice meal with their friends. You can Find those gift certificates at eatwithus.com as well. Bulldog Burger Company, the place in Starkville and now Tupelo where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. So we have got a lot to talk about today. As you guys know, I have been kind of educating myself on uh, a lot of Mississippi State athletics history over the last few years. I've spent a lot of time researching some things. We're going to talk some about basketball today. We're going to talk about game of change. We're going to talk about some amazing things that I've learned about all that. And so... That being said, I'm going to go ahead and get the top 10 list out of the way. The top 10 list today is actually a top 12. It is a top 12 list of my favorite 
players from all the other SEC teams that matter, right? So there are 14 teams in the SEC. I've got several favorite Bulldogs, but I'm going to talk about my favorite player, football player, from each SEC team that matters right now. So the top 10 list after we top 12. Now, some of these schools are relatively new to the SEC. So I didn't go dip back into their, you know, previous conference affiliations and say, hey, listen, I remember when that guy was great or whatever. I I, I didn't do that except in one exception because I I thought the guy was so great I I wanted to to include him because it's kind of an out-of-the-box decision here. So, again, my favorite football players from the other SEC teams that matter. Number 12 on my list, my favorite Missouri Tiger is Drew Locke. I absolutely love Drew Locke. He's with the Denver Broncos now. You guys, if you were listening to my show when Drew Locke was uh, at, at Missouri, you know that I was a huge fan. I really thought he had a chance to upset some people and really kind of get Mizzou back in the thick of things. They were kind of a sleeper when he was there. Mississippi State beat Drew Locke. I don't know if you know that. We went up there on that pouring down ball game back in 15, I guess it was. We made the trip up there, sat out there in the rain, won the ball game. Drew Locke comes in late in that game and, you know, really wasn't much of a threat then, but he developed into a tremendous quarterback at Missouri. So, again, my favorite Missouri Tiger, Drew Locke. Number 11 on the list, and this is a guy where I kind of got – I took some liberties here because it is my list, and so I kind of set the parameters. My favorite South Carolina Gamecock is Sterling Sharp. Some of you only know him from his work on ESPN, kind of talking about NFL games. Sterling Sharp at one time was one of the best wide receivers in the country out of South Carolina. Had a long NFL career, was a great Green Bay Packer, was a guy that, listen, just did some big things. For a long time, very polished, does a great job on television. But, man, I tell you what, that was the guy you never really wanted to look up and see having to cover one-on-one. You really hoped that you could you kind of shade a safety to his side because he was such a great route runner. That's like nowadays everybody says, and I love these, there's so many people that evaluate recruits now, and they put these things out there. Oh, he's a great route runner. Let me, let, let me bring you up to speed here, Okay. There are not. There are very, 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 very few high school wide receivers sticking routes. They're just running by people. There's nobody out there that's really measured in their steps. It's very precise in their route because they don't have to be. It's when you get to this level and everybody is as fast or as talented or more so that you have to be more of a technician. And so, you know, you can afford to be a little bit lazy in high school. And listen, nobody's out recruiting a high school kid because of their ability to run a route, looking for guys who can make plays, looking for explosiveness. Pardon the uh, the rant there. Number 10 on my list, my favorite Vanderbilt Commodore, Zach Cunningham. Zach Cunningham, I almost said Zach Mooneyham. You remember him from School of Rock? Zach Cunningham out of Pinson Valley, Alabama. Everybody, everybody kind of passed on him until late. He's the guy that kind of made himself as a senior picked up where he left off when he got to Vanderbilt, was one of the most prolific tacklers in the SEC. You know, when Derek Mason was really kind of getting things going up there, he was a big part of things. Uh, Zach Cunningham in the NFL now, I guess for the Houston Texans maybe, but uh, nevertheless, very, very active guy that always had a nose for the football. 
enjoyed watching him play a whole lot. Number nine on my list, and again, these are my favorite players from the SEC teams that matter outside of Mississippi State. Number nine on my list, Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb, I hated playing against him. I think that's the most that's the ultimate compliment you can give a competitor is that you hate to play against them. Randall Cobb was just one of those guys. You know, I, I could have gone Derek Abney here, but that, that scar is still a little bit too fresh. But Randall Cobb was just such a phenomenal player at the University of Kentucky. You know, Lynn Bowden's the guy that, that like Rand, Lynn, Lynn was a little bit bigger than Randall Cobb, but kind of the same deal. Randall Cobb was one of those guys that, you know, you could kind of keep them backed up all day long, and then late in the ball game, he would find a way to go make a play for you. Randall Cobb had a good year last year with Dallas as well. Tremendous asset offensively. Number eight on my list, and he might be higher on your list, but we're beginning to kind of get into legendary territory. You know, we're starting to get into Heisman Trophy-type categories. But number eight on my list, my favorite Florida Gator, not Tim Tebow. I know many of you would say it's Tim Tebow. I love Tim Tebow. I think Tim Tebow changed the game of college football. What he and Urban Meyer and Dan Mullen did together at Florida really changed how we view the quarterback position. But that, it's, not, it's not what you may think it is. You know, Tim Tebow is one of those guys that uh, you know, he was such a good power runner because you didn't have your, your quarterback run a lot of QB power in this generation. But he kind of changed it. But my favorite Florida Gator is Percy Harvin. I think Percy Harvin changed a lot because we had so many different things they did with him in Florida because of the you know, it was the spread option offense. It wasn't just a spread. They used a lot of elements in the option game to kind of use Tim Tebow's running prowess to get opportunities for other players. And nobody benefited more than that than Percy Harvin. I think Percy Harvin, again, you look at what guys like Chad Bumpus have done, you know, they were Percy Harvin Jr. Number seven on my list, and again, these guys have not been in the league for very long, but it's Johnny Manziel from A&M. I mean, how, how could you pick another Aggie? You know, Johnny Manziel, you know, what he did at Tuscaloosa, really a coming out party for him. He had his Heisman moment there. Tremendous player. Uh, had some personal issues. Didn't, he kind of flamed out in the league. But uh, he was one of the most exciting players to watch, provided you were not playing against him. You know what I'm saying? It's like – you know, we would go play that, you know, that 11 o'clock a.m. game, and then you rush home to watch Texas A&M play whoever because you just never knew what Johnny Menzel was going to do on or off the field. Number six, my favorite Tennessee volunteer, Peyton Manning. The only Manning worth rooting for, if you ask me. Peyton Manning, nice guy, does a great job with commercials, which makes him even more likable. Also, uh, he lost to Mississippi State. Eli did too, but uh, you know, it was easier to like Peyton because of the fact that you kind of expected Tennessee to be good. You know what I'm saying? Just because he wore a different uniform. Not to mention, and this is one of the things too, and I've shared it with you guys before, one of my favorite Archie Manning stories, and I don't have a lot of them, but it's when uh, Peyton Manning decided to go to Tennessee and play for David Cutcliffe. And there were a lot of people that were very critical of Archie Manning, saying that Archie should have made him go to Ole Miss, and, and he didn't do that. And so Archie said one of the greatest things that I think a dad can ever say is he goes, you know what, I love Ole Miss, but I love Peyton more. And I think that's how all of us should feel about our kids. But uh, you know, Peyton wanted to go to Tennessee, and, and, and Alfred did a great job. And uh, I think he should have won the Heisman Trophy. You know, Charles Woodson got it, and, uh, and I get it. Charles Woodson was a tremendous player and played in the NFL for a long time. 
But I, I truly believe Peyton Manning should have won the Heisman Trophy. Number five on my list, a guy that I actually like better than Peyton Manning because he is a dual-threat quarterback. My favorite Arkansas Razorback, Matt Jones. Matt Jones was so fun to watch when you didn't have to play against him. And like that, was it that seven overtime game against Ole Miss was kind of a coming out party for him when he played for Houston Nut. He was phenomenal. He was such a weapon in the red zone. You know what I'm saying? He was kind of like Nick Fitzgerald with a little bit better throwing ability. It's just one of those guys, man, that have kind of made the SEC great, you know, in this modern era. I think Matt Jones is a guy who was kind of ahead of his time, too. Can you imagine him now, you know, playing so much of these spread offenses where he's able to kind of utilize his ability to run the football a little more? Now we're getting to the, uh, the big ones. There's some obvious ones on here. My favorite Auburn Tiger is your favorite Auburn Tiger. He was also my favorite Oakland Raider for a while and my favorite Kansas City Royal. That's Bo Jackson. One of the guys that could do a little bit of everything. Arguably the greatest athlete to ever play in a Southeastern Conference regardless of sport. Just an absolute freak. And again, one of those guys, you love to watch him run against anybody other than your team. He was easy to root for, too, because he wasn't a jerk. There were so many people that were become great players that are not good people. But that wasn't the case of Bo Jackson. And, uh, again, he was easy to root for. He made you want Auburn to beat Alabama. You know what I'm saying? That was, that's what he wanted. You know, he, he became such a, you know, a force in the SEC that there were a lot of people that were fans of other schools that became Bo Jackson fans because you just appreciated his greatness. Number three on the list, Herschel Walker. Just like Herschel a little bit more than Bo, I think Herschel didn't have quite as much talent around him, to be honest. I know other people would say that Bo Jackson kind of carried Auburn. I don't know that that's really the case. But Herschel Walker, I remember as a kid, he scared me to death. He absolutely scared me to death because every time he took that, that, that halfback toss, you thought, listen, if he makes that first guy miss, it's going to be 15, 20 yards. Just had, there was a, a fair level with Herschel. You know, Bo could get you. You know, you think Sean Alexander, Saran Stacey, and some other great running backs from, from Alabama, and Brent Fullwood from Auburn was another one that kind of comes to mind. But Herschel Walker, to me, is the gold standard in the SEC when it comes to running backs because he could do so much. Number two on my list, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with this, and you know what, I'm perfectly okay with you being wrong. I'm perfectly okay with you being wrong when it comes to this, but my favorite Alabama Crimson Tide player is you sit there with bated breath and you're thinking, oh, he's going to pick this guy. No, you're wrong. This is going to be so far out of left field, you're not going to pick it, and – Many of you young guys are going to be like, who's he talking about? It's the deuce is loose, David Palmer, the real deuce. David Palmer was incredible in the early 90s. They, Alabama goes, has a quarterback go down. They put David Palmer in a quarterback, and he goes and wins the ball game. They come back the next week, and they put him in a quarterback, and he, and he throws a touchdown like the first play. David Palmer was the first real, like, slash player. You know what I'm saying? It's like he was a guy – and the way that Gene Stallings and those guys used him in Alabama, he he defied definition. You know, he was one of those guys. That he was not a traditional wide receiver. You could do so much with him. He was he was kind of what Randall Cobb and those guys kind of patterned themselves after. David Palmer is a legend in the SEC, and uh, I remember watching him in that SEC championship game. You know when he got loose late. It was church, man. He was that great. He was that good. You had to account for him on every single play. And I don't mean just go out there and line up across from him. Everybody on the defense had to know where number two was. 
You remember Bill Walsh's college football? That was kind of the precursor for NCAA football, those of you that had like a super NES. You picked Alabama so you could be David Palmer because he was the best player on the game, and he was the best player in college football. But number one on my list, and you're, you're probably thinking, okay, wait a minute, Steve. There are 14 schools in the SEC, and Mississippi State is out of this. You're not talking about state players. You're talking about opposing teams in the SEC. I said SEC teams that matter. So my number one player is from Louisiana State University, and that's going to be the Honey Badger. Got a chance to see him in high school at New Orleans City Park at the Scout Combine. He didn't run real well. He didn't run well because he didn't know how to run a forward. And there's so many people out there that kind of fashion themselves as uh, college football evaluators, and they, and they, they see a 40-time and say, oh, well, the kid ran a 4.65. You know what? Then you turn on the film and you see him running away from everybody. There are a lot of kids that aren't track guys. They don't, even know, how, they don't know how to get a start. They don't know how to get out the blocks. And so that was the case with the Honey Badger. Tyron Matthew – was the most exciting player in all of college football that year, that, that his final year at LSU. He could, when LSU needed to play, he would just go take the ball away from a quarterback or running back for a touchdown. If you needed him to make a play in the return game, he could. And it didn't matter who he played against. In his mind, he was the best player on the field. One of the things that I have learned in, in recent years is about how much that he has grown up. There were some issues when he was at LSU. But he's done such a great job in the NFL, and uh, he has been a, a key part of that thing at Kansas City. And I've had people, I've had people that I know and trust at LSU that have reached out to me after Willie Gay was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs and says, "You know what? Willie Gay and Tyron Matthew are going to be great together, and Tyron Matthew is going to look after that kid and be a good mentor for him because Tyron cares about winning, but he also cares about young people." And so uh, I think it's a great situation. So those are my 12. Again, quick recap. Running down, Drew Locke, Missouri, Sterling Sharp, South Carolina, Zach Cunningham from Vanderbilt, Randall Cobb, Kentucky, Percy Harvin, Florida, Johnny Manziel, A&M, Peyton Manning, Tennessee, Matt Jones, Arkansas, uh, Bo Jackson from Auburn, Herschel Walker from Georgia, David Palmer from Alabama, and the Honey Badger from LSU. And, of course, these are all players from from my lifetime. It might be different for, for many of you, not for me. Remind you, too, our good friends at Hawthorne are back. Nobody ever really tells you how to buy cologne. They're going to kind of help you through that process. Visit them at Hawthorne.co. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. Take their short quiz. They're going to ask you about your preferences. And it's listen, it's real short. But they're going to basically match you to the scents that best fit your preferences. I've shared with you guys before, and I've had many people that have complimented me on the cologne that I've been able to get from them. Uh, and so you are going to like the way you smell, and you can get more than just the cologne. You get the body wash, you get the, the shampoo, the conditioner. You can get it all. Anything that you need kind of for men's hygiene, you can get from Hawthorne.co. Use promo code Boneyard, save yourself a little cash for that initial purchase, and they'll get you all set up. I'm telling you, I would not have accepted them as an advertiser, advertiser if I did not uh, appreciate the products. We, I get a lot of people that contact us. I've got people that work on, on this for me, and they're people that I partner with that, that are contacted by advertisers. And uh, we tell some people no from time to time just because of the fact some, there are some products out there that don't really align with my value system, and there are some other products out there too that I just I don't think they're a good representation of what I'm trying to do here. But Hawthorne.co, I'll tell you, Hawthorne has been great to me. 
I've been very pleased with the products and the packaging to the customer service. Everything has been absolutely wonderful, and it will be for you too. Again, that's Hawthorne.co. Use promo code BONEYARD to save a little cash on that first order. So let's get into basketball. I want to talk some about basketball today. I want to talk about the game of change. I have, um, I have learned a lot about Mississippi State men's basketball that I, I didn't really know. Now, we have, for the most part, been a baseball school throughout our history. We have always been competitive. There have been some lean years kind of mixed in with some really years of triumph, but we have been competitive in baseball throughout our history. We are a baseball school. We are a national power in college baseball. And listen, I've had some people message me, Steve, you keep saying that, but we hadn't won an NFL championship. That's a matter of time, but we are a national contender. We are a team that recruits at a high level, and we are committed to college baseball, really unlike just about every program in the country. There are, a few, there are a few schools out there that are kind of right there with us. This arms race between us and Arkansas is awfully interesting. It's good for the game of baseball. But uh, other than, you know, a few years, we have never really been a men's basketball school, with the exception of the Babe McCarthy years. And I don't know if you guys know this. I actually did a ton of research over the weekend, learned more about all of that era than I ever knew. And uh, wrote the chapter. I believe it's one of the best things I've ever written And uh, between all the books. But, you know, Babe McCarthy was not even coaching when Duty Noble reached out and hired him. He was actually, uh, you know, he'd coached uh, at Tupelo High School and uh, was actually an, an official. He was a basketball referee when Duty Noble reached out to hire him. Because, you know, the, listen, back in those days, a lot of coaches were, had multiple sport responsibilities. And so things were kind of growing, and Mississippi State was growing up. And so we hired Babe McCarthy to be the first completely exclusive, dedicated to men's basketball coach in school history. Paul Gregory was the baseball coach and the basketball coach, and so relieved Gregory of those responsibilities as basketball coach and hired Babe McCarthy. And as bad as we had been, because under Paul Gregory, and you know what I think of Coach Gregory as a baseball coach, he's the one that kind of modernized things for us and really kind of got the ball rolling into the modern era, you know, got us going, got us to Omaha back in 71. But Coach Gregory, the basketball program didn't really respond under his leadership. We never finished in the top half of the league when Gregory, was, I guess it was seven seasons. And so we hired McCarthy, McCarthy excuse me, and in Babe's very first year, he gets us to 500. Now, if I'm not mistaken, we won six games the year before. We ended up 12 and 12. And then the next, and that was in, that was in 55. And then next thing you know, we kind of get rolling again. We get rolling. We, we had had some great years in the 20s under E.C. Hayes. Won, uh, I guess, what, three conference championships and an, a uh, tournament championship. And so that really kind of got us going. And then he left us to go to his native Indiana. And he ended up coaching track and field up there. But between E.C. Hayes and Babe McCarthy, we really did not have any basketball appreciable success in men's basketball. There are a lot of people that act like we did, but we didn't. But those Babe years, those, those years were some years we weren't exactly dominant in baseball. You know, we were very competitive, but we were still kind of up and down a little bit. And then you Coach Gregory, once he could focus solely on baseball, that's when things kind of begin to take off for us uh, in baseball. But that said... And McCarthy comes in, and then within four years, you know, we're right there at the top of the food chain in the Southeastern Conference. And I don't think – many of you young guys don't appreciate this, but Mississippi State 
won the SEC in 1959 with Bailey Howell. We go 24 and 1. 24 and 1. We were considered by many to be the best team in the country. And then we didn't go to the NCAA tournament. Because of an unwritten rule, you know, about Mississippi institutions couldn't play against uh, racially mixed teams. And uh, it probably cost Mississippi State a national championship because of that. Because that 1959 team with Bailey Howell, who was uh, now in the College Basketball Hall of Fame, Bailey Howell, the only Mississippi State men's basketball player to ever have his number retired. Yeah, and maybe we need to retire more. But there's just something about – there's some mystique about Bailey Howell. And even talking to some of the guys that played in that 63 game of change, you know, they came to Mississippi State because they saw what Mississippi State did for Bailey Howell. They saw what Bailey Howell did for Mississippi State. And so they thought, you know what, if he can go there and do well, then I can do the same. I can go to Mississippi State. If it was good enough for Bailey Howell, it was good enough for me. And so they came out. And so, of course, Bailey wins in 59 and then doesn't get a chance to go play for a national championship. Goes on and has an opportunity to you know, play in the, the NBA for a long time. Detroit Pistons take him in the first round of the, of the NBA draft. I believe him and Wilt Chamberlain went one, two. I think that's right. But uh, be that as it may, that's one of Mississippi State's greatest players in any sport denied the opportunity to go play for an NFL championship through no fault of his own. 1960 was a little bit of a rebuilding year for us. In 61, we're right back. We win the SEC again, and we don't go to the NCAA tournament. We go right back in 62. We win it again. We win, I guess we won a share of it in 62, and then we don't get to go. And so 59, 61, and 62, Mississippi State wins an SEC title three out of four years. We earn a berth to the NCAA tournament. We don't go. And it's not because Mississippi State leadership didn't believe we could go compete. It's because of these unwritten rules, these uh, Jim, Crow under, Jim Crow understandings of the day. And I've had a lot of people that say, you know, Steve, don't judge the past too harshly because the past is the past for a reason. And I get it, but it infuriates me to think about the fact that uh, these people work so hard, these young people work so hard and, and, and accomplish so much, and then we're denied the opportunity to compete on a national stage because of the fact that some people had an antiquated thinking um, process. But in 62, I think Babe McCarthy kind of had enough. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, we, we, we were – this is the guy, remember, Babe McCarthy had never – Babe McCarthy didn't even play college basketball. Never played college basketball. Was essentially a high school player. Came to Mississippi State as a regular student. And then ends up leading Mississippi State through the greatest period of men's basketball of all time. And so in 63, this is after we've had a change in leadership. President Hilburn had retired and Dean Colbert was hired. And Dean Colbert was from North Carolina. He wasn't a Mississippian. And that proved to be kind of significant later in the process because as he made the decision in 1963 – to accept the NCAA tournament bid, uh, then all of a sudden, you know, all hell breaks loose. And uh, had some state legislators that said there needed to be a state law that every state-funded institution had to be run by Mississippian because outsiders kind of threatened our way of life. There were a lot of people that kind of wanted to have this closed society where you know, everything that kind of happened outside the state lines of Mississippi was kind of irrelevant. And so Dean Colbert 
And maybe it was because Babe McCarthy had worn him down. And listen, to be honest with you, if Babe McCarthy had not been a Mississippi State alum, he probably would have left. And who could have blamed him? You, you, you win the SEC championship, you're one of the best teams in America, but you don't get a chance to go prove it in the tournament. And so what's interesting, too, that 59 team with Bailey Howell, that 59 team was – and then they actually beat Kentucky that year. That Bailey Howell team, his senior year, was so highly thought of that they finished number three in one poll and number four in another without playing an NCAA tournament game. That's how highly, how highly thought of they were. It's despite the fact that they didn't go to the tournament, they were still ranked in the top four in the country over teams in the final four. That's how great that team was. And so you, you had to think all of that weighed on Babe McCarthy. You know that it did. And if he hadn't been a Bulldog alum, I'm sure he would have said, you know, to heck with this. I, I'm winning SEC championships, and then I win a one in 59, 61, and 62. We beat Kentucky in the process. They finished second in the SEC, and we beat them, and they get to go in our place. It's unfair, and it was unfair. But things changed in 1963. And, you know, when you go back and look at history and you look at some of these papers that Dean Colbert has, you can tell – in the beginning, he didn't know the lay of the land in Mississippi. And I think he kind of went along initially because, you know, listen, I'm the new guy showing up. I'm not going to rock the boat. And so in 61, he kind of went along with it and then later said that he didn't make the decision in 61 for the team not to go, but he did in 62 and said, you know, that, that that's kind of been the custom and so I'm not going to kind of work against that. But in 62, some of the Mississippi State students – went out and stayed sit-ins on his front yard to kind of throw support behind the team. And that's one of the things that makes me so proud. When I think about the great moments in our, uh, in our school's history, many of the best things that have happened have been student-led. And, you know, I think about, you know, when I was a college student, you know, it's like you get so fired up and you think you're going to change the world. You know, well, these, the students of that day, a lot of them did. They did change the world. And not. And there's so many people that I've read these articles, these cynical articles, well, the game of change didn't change anything. And that is absolutely wrong. And I'm going to get to that a little bit later. I'm going to get ahead of myself because I get fired up about that. I'll get emotional about this if I'm not careful. But in 62, the Mississippi State students had kind of had enough. You know, we, we were great. We had our cowbells ringing in the 10 gym, had one of the greatest – uh, home court advantages in all of sport, and that's right. You heard me correct. We had cowbells in a tin gym. It was deafening. And in 63, Dean Colbert had been there a little while, and if that name sounds familiar, students, that's because the, the student union is named after Dean Colbert, the Colbert Student Union, because of his leadership. And I think a lot of it had to do with decisions that he made in 1963. But in 63... Colbert let them know, hey, listen, we're going to accept the invitation this year. And that really set up a, uh, a war, an absolute war. M many of it kind of behind the scenes, including Governor Ross Barnett, comes out and says that he supports, uh, you know, segregation in all phases of, of college activity and that sort of stuff for the state schools. And, and, it was, and all of it was just so wrong. And, 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 and history has judged those, those people harshly as well they should. But Dean Colbert, Wade Walker, who had succeeded Duty Noble as the athletic director of Mississippi State, 
And but Babe McCarthy, after all this began to happen, state had, I believe, till March the 5th to accept the invitation. They did, and then they fled the state. Fled the state to avoid any process servers, because if anybody from the state government was going to, uh, to serve an injunction, we figured that it would be to one of those three individuals. So they fled the state to ensure that they would you know, be outside the, the jurisdiction of any state officials. They went into hiding. Wade Walker, Babe McCarthy went to, uh, went to Memphis and assistant coach Jerry Simmons. And the Mississippi State players still continued to kind of run drills, but they didn't know if they were even going to play. They didn't have a coach. Joe Dan Gold and those guys, who was the captain of the day, they kept them practicing to keep them loose and kind of keep them engaged, but they, lo- they would love to have played, and they were seeing some of these things in the paper, and they were hearing these things about how you guys are going to play. And they wanted to play, but deep down they all expected there to be some you know, late snag. They had no opportunity to really prepare for Loyola Chicago. Didn't have a chance to watch any film. Didn't know any of their tendencies. As Bill Anderton told me, they didn't even know if they ran a man defense or his own defense. Knew nothing of the sort. And then this plan was hatched for him to sneak out of the state. And to be fair, and this is one of the things that I have learned, and maybe many of you are like me, that you were somewhat ignorant of the fact, Mississippi State wasn't the first state-funded institution to sneak across state lines and defy the directive of the state governor. Back in 1955, Jones County Junior College snuck out of the state to go play in the Junior Rose Bowl and passed into California against Compton Community College. And that's what kind of put this gentleman's agreement in place that uh, you wouldn't have an opportunity to go play schools of mixed races. And if you did, you, you ran the risk of losing your funding. And so people didn't want to, to run up against the state legislature because the, the state IHL board controlled the purse strings. And so that's how all this came to be because Jones County Junior College says, you know what, we're going to go do it. And they did. That's when everybody kind of got serious and said, you know what, you're never going to do this. We're not going to be embarrassed like this. You will not defy us. And so that's what kind of put these things in motion. And you know Hilburn probably knew this. And so when Colbert comes in, you know, he was somewhat unaware of all that had gone on back in 55. And then he has a coach that is like, hey, listen, this is unfair to us. You have students that are saying, you know what, Dean, this is unfair to us. And, and, and I, I am such a fan of the kids of the Reflector. And you go back and read some of those Reflector articles. They absolutely held Dean Colvert and Wade Walker's feet to the fire about our players being able to go play in the NCAA tournament. Before I get to the rest of our story, I want to remind you, our good friends at Campus Bookmart are here to serve you. Back open, doing business and if you can't make it to town, or perhaps you're a little bit uncomfortable with all that, you can visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. Longtime sponsors of this show, and by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll save you a little cash. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll save you shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. I have seen some of the new selections they have. You're going to be extremely excited about those. They're also got some items on clearance. Go check them out. Every so often, I'll see an ad, and I'll remind you guys, BSR is your code to save that shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. So one of the things that amazes me 
about this story and about this tale about the game of change is that these guys get up, and these were just kids. I mean, and many of them from small-town Mississippi. You, know, you had guys from Clinton. You had guys from Kill, Mississippi. I mean, you had a couple guys from out of state. You know, they had guys from Tennessee and Kentucky, guy from Illinois, Stan Drinker. You know, and so you had some of these guys that ha- that had a working knowledge of Mississippi politics. They had grown up in it, and many of them said, you know, listen, we knew by choosing Mississippi State we were not going to be able to go to the NCAA tournament. They knew it because that was the custom of the day. But not to mention, by electing to go play in that game and being a kid from small-town Mississippi, you know they, what they risk career-wise, right? I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like there were a lot of people back in those days that felt like, you know what, these kids shouldn't go play. Mississippi kids shouldn't go play in these integrated games. And so by choosing to go play, many of these guys kind of put themselves and their professional futures at risk. Because you could imagine going sitting in there reading a resume and said, oh, you oh, you were on that team that's, that defied the, the governor, that defied a court order, and snuck out of the state under the cover of darkness? I mean, how can I trust you? Not to mention all the racial issues of the day. You know, and these guys got on a plane at 4 in the morning not knowing what was waiting for them when they got back. Would they get back and the local magistrate put them in handcuffs and put them in jail? Would they be charged with contempt of court? I mean, when they got on the plane, this was very much a deal where there was an active injunction that uh, was trying to be served to prevent the team from traveling. But they outsmarted them, and they outfoxed them. Babe McCarthy and Wade Walker and Dean Colbert, they had a plan that was well executed, and they were able to slip out of the state before any of that legal paperwork could be served. But by getting on that plane, they took a huge risk. And when they got to East Lansing, Michigan, there was a lot of media waiting for them, asking them questions about, you know, we were told you guys were arrested when you got on the plane, and the plane had been called back and been diverted, and there was all this stuff. And then the players finally learned that the Mississippi State, the Mississippi Supreme Court had quashed the injunction and that they were going to be able to play the game illegally. And that's one of those things that, that really changed some things because in Mississippi, I think we had been somewhat embarrassed because it became national news. You know, it wasn't long before that when James Meredith had, uh, you know, had, had enrolled at Ole Miss. And so things were changing and there were still a lot of changes left to be, to be made. But the thing that I think about, and I wrote this in the book and I wrote this on Facebook yesterday too, is we can talk about the courageous decisions of Dean Colvert, and we can talk about Babe McCarthy standing up for his players. We can talk about Wade Walker and those guys kind of working in conjunction. But I think as great and heroic as all that was, because without their involvement in this, it's not possible. But when you look at these, these kids, they were many of them were teenagers that made a decision that says, you know what, I understand what the uh, – you know, the order of things has been in Mississippi, but I, I don't subscribe to that. You know, there are people that, you know, in generations before me that might, but I don't, I don't subscribe to that line of thinking. And so I'm not going to be involved in that. I'm not going to say that I am too good to play with people of color. I want to go represent Mississippi State. I want to go compete against the best players in America, and I want to see what we can do. I want to see how we measure up. Now, you know, the emotional toll of the whole thing 
you know, and the lack of preparations and all that stuff and all the steps Mississippi State had to take, you know, made it real difficult for State to put up much of a fight. And listen, and to be fair, Loyola was a better team. Loyola went and won an AFL championship. But had Mississippi State been able to practice under normal circumstances and be able to travel as other teams did and not have to sneak out in the cover of darkness and get up at 3 in the morning and, and all the stress of all that that accompanied, you know, the, uh, you know, the plot, it might have been a different day. I mean, it was a close and competitive game, but, you know, State struggled to kind of keep it within 10. And once Leland Mitchell fouled out of the game with about five minutes left, the Bulldog Goose was cooked. But it is easy for us to get caught up in what is happening now and the things that we kind of take for granted. But I think now that we have taken a, you know, put the world on pause a bit, I think it's important for us to kind of recognize where we've been and to recognize many of those players. And you listen, there, you can go watch the, uh, what is it, the One Night in March documentary, and Kyle Vesey has written a book um, you know, about the game of change. Matter of fact, Kyle and I traded some text messages today because I wanted to kind of compare notes on a couple things, and he was very gracious and reached out to Greg Ellis. But there are a lot of people that see this not just as a victory for Mississippi State, but a victory for the state of Mississippi. And one of the things that really fired me up is I learned and I read and I talked to people and I interviewed people and, and uh, you know, found everything I could possibly find on the topic is how the people of Starkville and the Mississippi State alums around the country said, you know what, if the state government steps in here and says you guys can't travel by using state funds, we got it. We're going to take care of that. You know, you want to talk about, you know, <laughs> you want to talk about being heroes. You know, how about the local businesses all running a joint ad in the paper and everybody putting their name on it? Says, hey, we support Mississippi State basketball playing in a tournament. And there were a lot of people out there that didn't want that, that kind of stuff messed with. There were people that were resistant to change. But our local Stark villains and villains around the world said, you know what? If it comes down to it, we'd rather pay the freight for our guys to have a chance to go compete. And so Mississippi State becomes the first team ever to play in the NCAA tournament. We lose to Loyola, and we end up winning the game against Bowling Green, a consolation game, our first win in the NCAA tournament. But when I look back and I think about what could have been, you know, Babe McCarthy, which is incredible too, is like after the game of change, you know, we had that great class that kind of moved on. You know, with Doug Hutton and Red Stroud and Leland Mitchell and those guys were you – know, they, they, they finished them and went on with life. And we were at the end of a talent cycle and we struggled for the next couple of years. And then Babe McCarthy left and went to George Washington and spent a year there. And Joe Dan Gold stayed on as a student assistant and eventually coached a freshman team and eventually became our head coach. And – uh, you know, hang on there for five years or so, I guess. But, um, you know, we missed a real opportunity. And uh, I don't know if it's one of those things that uh, all of the, the stress and anxiety and the frustration, you know, took it out of us. But, uh, you know, we were among the greatest teams in college basketball from 1959 to 1963. There were few teams in the country that could really compete with Mississippi State. And it was because of the fact that Duty Noble – had the forethought to say, you know what, I need I need a guy to handle the basketball program, and I need to get a guy that's a Mississippi State guy that kind of understands our culture and understands how to recruit here. And I'm going to have an article tomorrow 
about Babe McCarthy and what kind of recruiter he was and about the, the things that he he pushed and impressed on people. And, and you know, this is one of the things, too, that's amazing to me is you, know, you think, okay, well, they hired Babe McCarthy. He must have been one of these guys that uh, that maybe had this special system. Maybe he was like Mike Leach where he had some great scheme that he just out-schemed people and people had trouble with, and, and none of that's true. And the players that I spoke to have said what made Babe McCarthy great was he was such a great motivator and a person that understood people. He understood how to communicate with people and make everybody feel important. And Bill Anderson was telling me that, uh, you know, no matter what he was trying to explain, he said, you know, he couldn't, you know, technically he couldn't say, okay, well, when the guy screens this way, we want to do this, or we want to reverse the screen or fight this way. He said, technically, he didn't have a lot of basketball knowledge. He wasn't a great X's and O's guy. But he got the most out of his players because he went out and signed and recruited guys that had great basketball IQs, and they were highly intelligent. They weren't just great basketball players. They were great people. But they showed up able to take coaching, able to be part of a team, and able to come in here and understand that Mississippi State had something special. And those are the things that I think carry over. And uh, I was so struck by so much of this. And a lot of it's new knowledge to me. That's one of the reasons that I can't wait to get the book in your hands. I, I had a, uh, a friend of mine that sent me, he was cleaning out his house, and he goes, you know, Steve, I've got all these clippings. I've got all these newspaper clippings that, you know, I don't really have any use for anymore. I'd like for you to have them. And, you know, if you don't, if you don't want them, maybe pass along to somebody else. And when people offer me that stuff, I always take it because you never know what you're going to unearth. And I found in all of those newspaper clippings, I found a newspaper from 1959 when Mississippi State won the SEC championship. Babe, Babe McCarthy's first, Bailey Howell's senior year. And I was able to read all those documents and read how Mississippi State's great team was not going to be able to go play in the tournament and the statements that were made and the reasoning behind it. And I was blown away by all of that. And it's, it's so inspirational to me to think about these people, these young people, many of them raised in the state of Mississippi, that said, you know what? We want a different day and time in our home state. And it wasn't just about basketball. And the price, the potential price they could have paid could have been severe. But they went anyway. And those are the things that I think about. Is when we, when we have a chance to make those kind of decisions, let us all do the right thing because it is the right thing to do anyway, even when it's inconvenient. Well, folks, it's going to do it for today. Again, I apologize for the lateness of the show. It's really been one of those days. And uh, I look forward to being back with you on Wednesday and uh, probably get a show out to you much earlier on the day Friday. I'm planning to go out of town a little bit and have a little fun with the family. And so if we can uh, get some things together, it'll be a busy week for me. But I look forward to being back with you. And hopefully we've got some recruiting news to talk about sooner rather than later. Uh, as I record this, we're expecting a verbal commitment to go public any moment now might have already come out by the time you guys listen to the show. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.